My name is Mike Hall. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethel. First, I'd like to just publicly apologize and repent to Matt McGill for saying that that last song reminds me of Hootie and the Blowfish. Um, that no, it does not. It is a rocking song, Matt. I appreciate it. I like it. And I'm sorry that I compared you to Hootie. So now that that's out of the way. Hey, so this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to talk a little bit about parenting and children. And so to start off, you know, I'm actually going to probably end up calling out most all of my kids, uh, and I have not asked their permission to do so. So that being said as well, I'll have some more apologies to do afterwards uh, to, for my family. This last week, uh, my daughter Anna got sick, and she uh, it wasn't a COVID thing, it was a, a puking thing, and she was throwing up a lot. It wasn't the, oh, I've got a math test, I've got a stomach ache sick, but really sick. So uh, she's staying home from school, throwing up. Heather's taking care of her. I'm uh, pretending to be sympathetic in some kind of way. And, uh, and Heather's like, hey, do you, do you think we you know, ought to go to the doctor? I'm like, oh, she'll be fine. Just give her, give her 24 hours. She'll be good to go. Okay. Well, Heather uh, examines a little more. She gets a little bit nervous about just saying, hey, for, forget about it and let it run its course. So as she's examining uh, Heather, she notices that there's a, a bruise on her. So she's like, oh, this, this isn't good. So she goes, hey, Mike, come here. Look at this bruise. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, what do you think? Should we go to a doctor? And I'm like, look, I understand that doctors have been to school for like 12 to 15 years, and this is what they do all their life. But I've got WebMD, which is way better. Um, and, and I don't have to pay the $20 deductible. So uh, in about three seconds, I do everything that a doctor could possibly do and diagnose her. And the only thing that makes sense with a bruise and throwing up uh, is one of two things, either, either cancer or uh, meningitis. And so I decided it's probably meningitis. I don't know why. I just thought that that was probably it. So I'm like, oh, babe, come here. I, I, this is, I've got bad news. Our daughter has meningitis. She's like, um, we, need to go, we need to go now to the doctor. I'm like, well, uh, well, well let's just do one of those like video doctor things, you know, that you get. Uh, and so she's trying to figure out how, you know, logging into the video thing and Anna's over there, sick. She says, hey, Anna, are you, um, you know, this bruise, and she's pushing on it, and it's uh, not hurting her, trying to figure this out, trying to log into the doctor at the same time, and what could it be? And Anna, have, have you put anything on you? Well, no, not on my neck, but anywhere? Well, I did get some suntan lotion stuff that's supposed to make me look more tan. Oh, you did? Did you put it on your neck? No, just, just my legs, but I might have wept it on my neck a little bit. And so we go, so, so that's just dye on your neck. No, and you just have the flu. M maybe so. And she doesn't have spinal meningitis or any other type of meningitis or cancer, praise God. She just wants to be tan. So that's the, the thing here. The context matters a lot here, right? So if we don't have the full picture as to what all of your symptoms are, then we're going to make some horrible decisions and some drastic mistakes. And the same thing is true here in Ephesians chapter 6. You know, one of the things that's great about the way we do church here at Bethel is we take, uh, we take 
Scripture one at a time, verse by verse, and we walk through it, which is fantastic. Eric's been walking through Ephesians for the last several months. And by the way, if you're a visitor or a guest today, uh, I'm, I'm the sub guy, and I'm a pastor at Bethel, but Eric Barton is the main teacher. So if you hear a bunch of ums and I shuffle around, that's because this is not what I do. Uh, this is Eric. So come back next week, and, and it'll be way, I don't know if it'll be good or not, but we'll see. I still want you to come back next week. Uh, so the... Um, the context, uh, it does matter. And so as I was going to say, as we walk through verse by verse, we miss sometimes the way Ephesians was meant to be, perhaps, uh, read, which is in one sitting. That's how when Paul wrote it, someone they would come and read the entire book. So what you hear in Ephesians 1 and 2, it's still in your mind when you get to Ephesians 6 here at the end. So I want to just remind us a little bit of the context of Ephesians before we jump in to Ephesians chapter 6. If we remember in chapter 3 that Paul is writing to believers, and he says that God can do more than we can imagine. Just we think about that, God can do more than what we can think about. And what you can imagine when you think of the goodness of God in our world, I feel like I can imagine some pretty awesome things. And God goes, well, okay, that's cute but I can do more than that. But, but I can imagine this now. Uh, okay, good tryer. I can do more than that. That God is huge, and he can do more to imagine. So there's that context. And then we see in chapter 4, he says, I urge you to walk in the manner for which you were called. Let's remember what it means to walk, that this is a, a lifestyle. This is who we are and who we become. But before you think, hey, this is, we have to walk in this manner, we have to do these right things, that this is not a list of do's and don'ts. We remember back in chapter 2 when uh, Paul tells us, hey, th this is written to those who are blind who now have sight, that this is a gift that was given to us, that this faith is not something that we're earning or something that we've mustered up to do, but this is a faith that we have as a gift. And so when we walk in this manner, it's just being who we are in Christ. It's letting uh, the Holy Spirit that lives inside us, it's yielding to that and walking in that manner, which then as we turn to chapter five here last week and the weeks before that, there was this submission, submission to God and submission to each other, submission to the body. And the way we do that is by first being filled with the Spirit. So before we get into how to parent, we have to remember, or how to be a child, we have to remember that we must be filled with the Spirit. Eric talked about that last week in relation to husbands and wives, and it's the same thing here. And so here's what I'd ask, is that we just stop a moment and we focus on God. We focus perhaps on the, the spirit that lives within the believers as we talk about parents, because the worst thing, not the worst thing, but a very bad thing, would be for us to take a message like this and think, this is what I've got to do, and instead to say, no, 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 this is the spirit living inside me that we yield to, that we become single-minded in focusness and get to submit ourselves to God, and it is just who we are in an overflow of how we parent. Remember that God's God says his, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, that when we walk with God, there should be this lightness, this joy, uh, this, hey, we're going through life, and this is fun in a sense, because we're just living in the Spirit. We get to see what adventure does God have for us today, not, I've got to be a better dad, I've got to obey my parents even though they're crazy. No, 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 no. It's just a yield. So 
Would you pray with me that we would have that spirit this morning? Lord, we submit to you. We want to be filled with the spirit. We want to focus on you. We want to be single-minded. We want distractions to move aside. And as we hear and read your word, uh, we pray, Lord, that it would permeate our lives and become just who we are. In Christ's name, amen. So, let me read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So when you're hearing a sermon like this, I know that there are a lot of people in this building who are in different stages of life and different perspectives. And so I, I want to address how we might read this scripture from these different perspectives. So first, parents. That's the easy one, right? Moms and dads. How might you read this scripture? Or what, what might be your lens that you're approaching this text with? Well, first, let's just say, hey, parenting right now is hard. It's really hard. The, the culture, it continues to shift and not toward godliness. And it's rough. And the, the amount of influences that your children have today versus even 10 years ago versus 30 years ago versus 50 years ago that you now contend with the TikToks and the YouTube videos and Snapchat and all of the, the bombardment of message and the access that your kids have to, to, to a rough and hard and a sinful and maybe godless oftentimes culture and a parent in that kind of environment is really tough. But it's good to know that God here in scripture says, hey, I know it's tough, but I actually have a parenting plan on how to do this. And that plan is you. That you as a parent, God has ordained and called to this role and you are his option. You are his best option, and that's what he wanted to do. So if you're a parent and you're reading this, and you know when your kids are older, maybe they're in middle school and high school, and you're going, oh my goodness, they're navigating some tough, deep waters and relationships and people and all of that stuff, and what was in that vape pipe and all the things that you have to deal with. Or when you're a kid, or you're a smaller child, and there's the scenes where you're so tired and the mindlessness of putting their shoes on again before you get in the car and then there's markers on the wall and somebody pooped on the ceiling fan and you just stepped on the transformer's head and you're just ah and you begin cussing at your kids and you're thinking what am I doing here I'm not designed for this but that the the man who hung on the middle cross says no 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 you're exactly designed for this hey you got this or we got this so if you're a parent here today, this, this is for you. This is 
what you're designed to do. Maybe you're a kid here today, which, by the way, I know there are kids here today, and I'm so thankful for that. We're going to talk about that here in just a second, about kids being involved here in church. But if you're a kid, this is simple. Hey, obey your mom and dad. That's how you follow God. I don't feel like you're listening to me, little Van Dyke kid. No, no, yeah, obey him. You got that. Yeah, you're welcome, James. Obey, obey your parents. This is, this is good. So kids, lean into this. Maybe you don't have kids. If that's the case, I think, and we'll talk about this here in just a moment, that your relationship with your heavenly father is most likely impacted by who your dad is or maybe how your dad acted towards you. And so as you think about, hey, parents and kids, it might be good for you to think about what is my relationship with God and how is that, how is my relationship with my father affected my relationship with God? Or maybe you're 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or even older and you have grown kids. And although I'm not yet 50, I'm old enough to know that every year I live, I actually realize how many more mistakes I've made in my past. The whole, hey, we have no regrets. I'm going to, no regrets? Are you kidding me? I'm going to probably regret something I say in the next 10 minutes. I know that. I've got all kinds of regrets. I regret things because we're sinful. But if, if you're a, a parent, a mom and dad with grown kids, and you look back and go, well, that's great to hear. I wish I would have done that. Uh, there's two things that I want to remind us of. One, it isn't too late. If your kids, maybe you have a, a child that's 60 years old, it's not too late to pick up the phone and to have a conversation. And second, there is an unmeasurable amount of grace that God's grace covers all of the mess-ups you did as a dad and as a mom. And that that's something that you can hold on to and know is true. That God's grace covers that. Or something else. So let's be honest. There's sometimes you hear a sermon, Eric's talking, and he says something which is not the main point, and it makes you think of something completely different. And I'm sure his sermon is fantastic and all. However, God was doing something different in my life, and maybe that's what's going to happen here today. That there's something that God is doing in your life and your heart and if that's the case and it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, okay, that's cool. May the Spirit do something in your life today. So as we go into Scripture, the first word, children. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Children. So there's something interesting here that when Paul writes this letter, he knows that children are going to be present in the reading, that they're invited to the church service. And in fact, that he mentions children first. In all of these three sections, last week with wives and husbands, this week uh, children and parents, next week we're going to talk about bond servants and masters, that he mentions what in Roman times was the weaker party first, which you wouldn't normally do, right? Wives before husbands, children before parents, bond servants before masters. That there's a, a value of kids there, a value of wives and bondservants and children. But for this sake, the value of children, it's because children are made in the image of God. Back then, 
uh, a child had less rights than the bondservant. A bondservant, there was laws that you had to feed your bondservant. You had to house your bondservant. A child, if you didn't want your child, you could let them go. You could leave them to the side of the road. That the only worth of a child was what they could provide for you. And I've looked this up now. This was a in an Amish family that at age five, a child should be able to pay for itself. By 10, they should be a profitable member of the society. We've clearly done that wrong. Um, but, but we sometimes still do look that way, that what our child, is our child have value beyond what they give us? Maybe it's how your child makes you look. Maybe it's, uh, you know, of the overzealous parent. Maybe it's someone here who uh, in a football game is going, oh, that's my kid. I love it. And you're living vicariously through your child in their, in their sports. Um, or maybe you have a kid in middle school who runs a 61 second point seventy three four hundred, just hypothetically speaking, Eli Hall. And that, that makes you extra real proud to say, look at my kid. He's awesome. But what if Eli runs a 93? Is he still awesome? You better not run a 93. No. Of course he is. He's made in the image of God that our child, our children are so much more than what they do or what they provide for us. Okay, but the children are there in the service. So let's talk about that for just a second. The children come to church on Sunday morning and they're a part of what we do. And so now let's address that here at Bethel. We have children come to our service right now. There's kids here on the uh, second floor. I know there's a lot of kids on the first floor, and I saw some on the third floor as well. That is fantastic. Okay, but now let's talk about real, real um, specifically and logistically. What do we do about that screaming kid in service? Like right now, I heard that little cry. I love it. That wasn't timed on purpose. What do we do about that? Is that okay to have a screaming kid in service? Okay, so here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to find a balance at Bethel to go, yes, we want your children to be at service. We really do. And, in fact, before most Sundays in the green room as we're praying, we pray against distractions. And the crying kid on the third row, on the first floor, the th or on the third floor, when they keep crying and they don't stop crying, we pray against not that child, but just what that child says because they're a distraction. So we, we, we want both. So here's what we're trying to do. And, and I say it's a balance. We're trying to figure this out. We say, come to church. And we also want them to come uh, in, in worship with mom and dad. That's a big deal. For your kids get to see mom and dad sing songs, to, do the conf to say the confession, to listen to the word of God, that's a big important deal, so we want that. So we do it. One, we want your children to come. Now, uh, we also have that first floor, and that's that's why we have the first floor, is because we know there's some parents that are saying, hey, my kid can't do this. Um, they will be a distraction. Come to the first floor, run around half in, but then they also get to worship with mom and dad. Maybe you, uh, you want to bring your kid to a second floor and third floor, and maybe you can train them. Hey, let's go here for five minutes. Let's come here for 10 minutes, and let's go back down to the first floor. That's a great thing to do as well. We want to flex and work with you. If you have kids, to say, how do we incorporate you in church? So um, then we have the kids' ministry, by the way. You, you know this. Ashley made a plea about three weeks ago to say, hey, come volunteer in the kids' ministry. This is so that they can be a part of church. And we needed like 23 volunteers, and I would like to thank the four of you that said yes. Um, it was sort of passive-aggressive. See, I told you I would regret something already. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So we still need more volunteers. So come and volunteer at the kids' ministry. Um, all right. So we want children to be involved when they can be involved. Um, we want to expose our children to the Word of God. We want to read Scripture with our kids. I imagine in the, in the uh, Ephesians when the book was read and that there was kids then afterwards going, hey, Dad, Mom, I didn't understand some of that. And the father and dad say, you know what? I perhaps didn't understand some of it too. I hope they read it again someday. Or now we get to say, yeah, that, that was tough. I didn't understand that also. Let's, let's read more about this. Let's read scripture again. Read scripture with your kids. And then the third part about the children being involved in church that I want to address is that we don't want to outsource our youth to a sub-church. Um, and to speak plainly, there are a lot of churches that fall into this. And so let's talk about this at Bethel, is that uh, we have a youth program. We have the Van Dykes and the Blacks that run on Sunday morning, uh, a great program for our kids, and it's good. And we have on Wednesday night uh, the Rose running a fantastic program for our church. But what we also want is our kids to be in the church service with their parents, with their adults. We, do, we recognize that uh, the youth need other adults to speak into them. And they need each other to hold each other uh, in life and to be, to be together and to go, hey, there's other guys my age who are trying to follow Jesus in this world. Those things are really, really good. But when a person turns uh, middle school, we don't outsource all of their spiritual life to somebody just because they're wear tight jeans and have facial hair. Even though Lauren Rowe does wear tight jeans and have facial hair, uh, that's not his sole role, is to parent our kids. No. He gets to facilitate, in a sense, a life group with and for our kids. There's a Barna study that says uh, just over 50% of kids who go to college stop going to church who have been going to church. And I would push back on that and say, uh, my guess is those kids might never have been going to church in the first place that have they been a part of a body where they know other adults, where they know other kids, where they take communion together in a group. That's what we want to do at Bethel, is we want our kids to be a part of what we do. Okay, um, so far we've gone through one word. And so uh, we're, we're going to keep going here, but a lot faster. Hey, children, chapter 6, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Kids need to obey their parents. Yeah, and to obey might not sound like fun when we use that word, obey. But the more we trust the person who is asking us to obey, the more we actually realize that obedience is freedom. That if we can trust God to say, this is what I want you to do, then we know, hey, if I do what God is asking me to do, there's life and freedom there. And as kids trust their parents to say, this is what I want you to do, when I tell you to stop, come to daddy, and you get trained to stop and come to daddy, then I'm also keeping you safe, so not to run in front of the car. It, it's a big piece to think of how we think of our father. Um, my son Noah got into a little pickle with another adult this last couple weeks. And he, the adult thought that he was being a smart aleck and 
and he probably was a little bit, but not as much as the adult thought that he was trying to be. And the, uh, the adult, in their frustration, said, do you want me to call your dad? And Noah, Noah goes, okay. So what? Now, if someone to me said, do you want me to call your dad? Do not call my dad. But you know, it's, it's funny how we just think of that little phrase, do you want me to call your dad? Why would you say that? Because your dad is after you. He's going to hurt. He's going to get you real good. He's going to be the one. Your mom might be mad and yell, but your dad, he'll bring out the belt. It's going to be tough when dad comes home. I wonder what that picture shows us about our heavenly father and what we think about God. When we mess up, when we're in a jam, when we're in a trouble, do we think, oh no, I hope my dad doesn't find out? Or do we say, where's my dad? He needs to be a part of this. How do we think of our heavenly father? And again, the correlation between how we feel about our earthly father, I think there's a lot there. We'd move on. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you're young, the way you honor your mom and your dad is to obey. But as you get older, how do we honor our mom and dad? How do I honor my mom and dad? I think there's a couple of things. One, it's with our words. So we say honoring things about them and to them. It might be what we don't say about them or to them. It might be to pay tribute to them in some ways. It might be to care for them. Uh, of course, culturally today versus in Roman times of how we uh, care for our parents is going to look different. That there is a sense, though, of do we outsource our parents to a nursing home? Maybe, but how do we still care for them in the midst of that? How do we honor our mom and our dad? Maybe it's to forgive them. Maybe there's something about your parents that you still hold on to and that probably really messes up and jacks up your walk with God now today. Maybe it's time to let them off the hook and to let that go and to forgive them. Maybe it's having a hard conversation with them or maybe it's choosing not to have the hard conversation with them. Paul continues to say that do this, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So let's be clear. Um, what Paul's not saying here is if somebody dies young, that doesn't mean, well, they must not have honored their parents. No. Uh, there, there's a couple of places here. Of course, we can look back to Israel that when the Israelites were following God, there was prosperity. When they weren't, there wasn't. Um, of course, this isn't a prosperity gospel type thing either. That there's a piece of, hey, when you follow God, when you obey your parents, that your quality, not just quantity of life, is good. That when we rightly live the way God wants us to live, that that's the way to live. And there's joy there and there's lightness there. And there is a, there is a prosperity of the soul when you live in that way. So then we move on to chapter 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so there's... 
There's three parts to this. First of all, well, and when we say fathers, we look at the Greek, the Greek here. This actually is not necessarily just fathers, but parents, uh, translated fathers right here. So moms, you're not completely off the, the hook here either. Um, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. So that's the first part, talking about not provoking your kids to anger. Uh, the word provoking them, there's a sense of uh, killing their spirit. Uh, some translations use the word exasperate. I might use the word beat down, right? Do not beat your kids down. There's a little bit of when you just keep going at them and going on them and you're like, ah, and sometimes you'll say, hey, hey, just throttle back there 10 to 15%, right? Don't just keep pushing on them where you know they're beat down. It's, it's a selfish attitude. It's knowing I'm the parent and I'm bigger than you are. You know what that is? It's just pride and insecurity. Um, now, at the same time, never let your kid win in arm wrestling. No, 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 no. You want to beat them, right? You don't want to let them win a one-on-one. Uh, it was the greatest thing ever when Eli beat me in the mile. It was the greatest thing for him when he beat me in a mile run a couple weeks ago. And you could see him beaming because he knew dad was not going to just give that to him. There's that relationship. But do not set your kids up to fail over and over again. Don't lord yourself over them. That's just sin. The second part is discipline. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction. So what this means is that if you don't spank your kids, you're doing it wrong. No, I'm just, I'm not saying that. Um, but I'm not not saying that either. What I am saying is that the word discipline does have a meaning of pain or discomfort. There is a painful expectation to discipline. So it doesn't necessarily mean spanking, although it might mean that or involve that, but it does mean that when your children do something wrong, that it is a parent's obligation to discipline or to inflict a discomfort to your child in order to move them in, in correction, into righteousness, that that is a good thing. Having like yes days or whatever are bad ideas. Uh, Say no to your kids. You know, Hebrews in chapter 12, God says he disciplines those that he loves. So to love your child is to discipline your child. If you have a hard time saying no to your child, you're actively not loving them. You're actively hating them by, by not being able to say no. Learn to say no learn to discipline, learn to give them comfort. And as we look at our Heavenly Father and we know that sometimes life is hard and tough, let's be reminded in James that we can consider this pure joy, that this is good, that when times are hard, we know that our Heavenly Father is disciplining us because He loves us, because He wants us to move us into righteousness for His sake and for His glory. And then third, instruction that we need to bring our children up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word instruction here has this implication of a gentle kindness instruction, not sharp imperatives. It's not sitting down and opening up and, okay, kids, here are the things that you got to learn. No, it's this drip of lifestyle of saying, hey, here is not just teachable moments, but Watch how I live my life. Come, invite your kids to the meeting. Invite them to be a part of your world. Let them see the way you live and the way you work. It's a way to do this. It 
takes time. That, that you have to know your kids and train your kids to do what they're created to do. It's how I know my son Sam is super more thoughtful than I am. He's more pensive. He's more introspective. As he tells me, it's sometimes hard to live with you, Dad. <laughs> that it's good. But I have to know that that's who Sam is. So that way when I talk to Sam about what his career might be or what school he might want to go to or what girl he might want to ask to the dance or not ask to the dance, that I know who he is and I can talk about who God is and how it relates to Sam and how we instruct him in the Lord. So a few takeaways. One, spend time with your kids. Hang out with them. Play catch, play disc golf. Do whatever they're doing. Yeah, if they play a lot of video games, I guarantee you that Dana Johnson, if her kids were uh, growing up right now, she would have learned Call of Duty to be able to play that with her kids on the PlayStation 1. Be with your kids. Do what they like to do. Have parties at your house. Invite your kids over. Have them over for dinner. Get to know them. Engage in their interest. When you engage with your three-year-old about Transformers and you play with Optimus Prime and all of the things that they do and the GoBot knockoff and all of the stuff, then when that three-year-old becomes 15, they're used to mom and dad engaging with them. And so when you used to talk about Optimus Prime, now you get to talk about the girl you want to ask out, but you're not quite sure how to, or the boy that likes you, but you're not quite sure he's the right guy for you, or why do I just feel so weird and sad, or all of the things that you might have conversations with, you've opened the door and you've set a pattern of being interested in the things that they're interested in. I, this week ago, um, oh gosh, it was awesome. I, I, I got to see... Um, engineers and brain surgeons and construction guys and lawyers and uh, 45 other men do the most important thing that they will do all month long, maybe all year long. But they got to ask their daughters to a dance here at Bethel. And to watch the four-year-olds stand on their dad's feet as they shuffle back and forth and the 15-year-olds teach their dad's dance moves that they will never be able to perform. It was awesome. It, it, we still, I'm sorry, Mark Schwarzkopf, that there's still glitter on the floor, uh, but it was worth it. It was so good and so right to see dads love their daughters. Okay, second takeaway. Act on whatever stands in the way of a right relationship with your parents. This is for all of us. What do we need to do? Not for your sake, but for your parents' sake. How do you honor them? Do you need to forgive them? Do you need to spend time with them? I, I, I don't know what that might be, but it would be worth for you to examine your heart and ask that question. Third takeaway, act on whatever stands in the way of a right relationship with your kids. Hey, if you haven't asked forgiveness from one of your kids in the last month, you're probably doing it wrong. We mess up all the time. And one of the best things 
if not the best things we could do is to ask for forgiveness. When we are harsh, when we're absent, uh, we need another place to examine our hearts, to say where, where do we need to say, not just, hey, sorry, but will you forgive me? Here's what I did. Here's where I let you down as a dad. Here's where I let you down as a mom. Okay, kids have more grace than you could imagine. Yeah, I heard this week a great picture about trying to find this balance between having a, a large playground and a high fence and that we want to give our kids enough room to explore and make mistakes, but know that we also need a high fence up there to say, hey, there's some places that we don't want you to jump over. And there's some parents that maybe the fence is too low and they're getting into stuff that you go, ah, you know what, I need to say no more often and raise the fence. But then there's also times where we're, maybe we're squelching our kids and not letting them grow up to say, you know what, let's make a bigger playground. It's a way of doing it. And then fourth, we want to think rightly about God. You know, this uh, scripture, Paul's quoting uh, the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, we say the first five Ten Commandments are about our relationship with God. The last five commandments are about our relationship with each other. Well, scholars have looked at this and said, this is the fifth commandment. Shouldn't it be on the second tablet because this is about our relationship with each other? I don't think so. Because our relationship with our dad is so in tune with how we think about the relationship with God. As our child, the way, the way they think about God, the only picture they have, and the first picture that they have is how their dad treats them and cares for them. That the way we parent and the way we treat our children is going to be reflected upon what our children think about who God is, which might just be the first thing that goes, oh, that's another thing I need to ask for forgiveness for because I fall so short of who our Heavenly Father is. So here's you know, the end. I don't have a fantastic, great way to land the plane on a sermon, as Eric says. But what I'd like us to do is to pray and to take a moment to just simply say, hey, Spirit that lives within us, what do we need to do? What's our next action step, or is there one? Do we need to have a conversation with one of our kids, one of our adult children? Do we need to have a conversation about God? Do we need to rethink about how we think about who our Heavenly Father is? Do we need to talk to our mom and dad and say, hey, here's where I am? I don't know. Or is it something else? So will you pray with me and just ask the Lord to do his work? God, I pray that you would do the work only you can do, that you would convict us and that you would move us to action not out of ought-tos or obligation, but out of joy and get-to because you love us and you've disciplined us because you love us. We pray for everyone here who has a mom and dad still alive that that relationship would be good. And I have a pray here for everyone who has a child that that relationship would be good and that these relationships would reflect how you love us and who you are. Lord, I ask that you just do your work. In Christ's name we pray, amen.